Happy Memorial Day weekend. This weekend, we do remember those who have paid the sacrifice of their life to protect this country. So if you are a, if you had a close friend or a relative, someone close to you, and um, they, they lost their life in service to this country, I just want you to stand up. We want to recognize you this morning. Just stand up. We want to pray for you. If that's you, don't be shy. Stand up. Let's pray for these that have stood. Father, we thank you for your goodness and your graciousness. And for these that have stood, that have given so much, Lord, we just pray that, that because you know them and you know their individual stories and things that have gone on in their life and through the loss of, of a loved one, Lord, would you just fill them with all that they need, your comfort and your love. Lord, we just honor them this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We are in the book of James, chapter 2. If you missed last week, we went through 27 chapters, 27 verses, one chapter. And uh, our theme for the book of James is faith that moves mountains. Faith that moves mountains. We had six points last week, real quickly, by way of reminder. We talked about faith for trials, talked about faith for wisdom, faith for finances, faith for temptation and overcoming temptation, faith for overcoming anger, and faith for focus, focus in our lives, to focus on the Word, to focus on righteousness, to focus on the most needy. Now, you've had a week, how'd you do? Six things, how'd you do? My hope is that as we come in, and we're diligent to teach the Word, whether it be in a Bible study midweek or, or our studies here, is that each week we're, we're growing in our faith to a, to a point where as we receive the Word, especially the new things that God is showing us in, in the Word or perhaps those correcting type things, is that each week, earlier and earlier in the week, we're going, man, Lord, you, you gave me something in the study for this. You changed me. You, you made me complete, more complete in you to be able to handle this trial, to be able to, to walk in faith with this. Lord, I, I remember you, I, I don't have, I'm, I need wisdom right now, and, but I remember that you're faithful. If I, if I ask, you'll give it to me. <clears throat> and now to the degree that we walked in faith, that we humbled ourselves before God, and we set our mind on him, And we did concentrate on the things of his word. It's the degree that we're going to have success in those things. And so if you struggled this last week, and and maybe you got away from it, then God is saying, hey, continue. Continue in my word. It, it, It is indeed a sanctifying process that we will be in until the Lord takes us out of this world. So this weekend we only have two major points, so that means if we go as fast as last week, we're going to be done in about 10 minutes. Don't count on it. Our two points are faith that loves everyone. Faith that loves everyone is point number one. Point number two is faith that lives. Faith that lives. Let's pray. Father, we do ask that as we open your word, as we study it, Lord, you'd open our our hearts and and our minds, Lord, our souls, to, to what you have for us this morning in your word, that your Holy Spirit would teach us and 
and guide us and, and correct us, Lord. And Lord, that you would be honored as we, as we spend this time in your word. Uh, Lord, that you would set uh, me aside and, and do a work um, in this service. That you, would, that you would bring wisdom where it's needed. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Faith that loves everyone. Chapter 2 and verse 1 of James. He says, My brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. Don't hold, don't hold partiality up next to your faith. Now, there are many ways that we can hold our faith. Things that can come along our faith, that be, can, be congruent, that match our faith. And then there are some things that absolutely don't match faith in Jesus Christ. And he's saying partiality, that's one of them. Partiality is one of them. Now, partiality is showing favoritism to someone based on external factors like wealth, authority, looks, skin color, nationality. My friends, I can show partiality to my friends. My family, I can show partiality to my family. It's called nepotism, putting my family above others in a, in a, in a wrong sort of a way. It says don't hold, don't hold the faith of Jesus Christ up with that. In other words, your faith should be that highest standard, that thing that you want to show forth to people uh, in the world, and, and it shouldn't have attached to it partiality, favoritism. Now, can you imagine? We're here at Rocky Mountain to represent ourselves to this community. That's one of the things God wants us to do. Can you imagine us putting a sign on the side of the building telling people who we are? Or perhaps, because we have this, we have a tab on our website that says about us, right? Can you imagine, you know, getting onto that tab and, and you read this? Welcome to Rocky Mountain Calvary. We're a fellowship of believers in Jesus Christ. We believe the Bible is God's unchangeable, inerrant word. We want everyone to know the gospel of Jesus Christ. God in human flesh died on the cross for our sin. And if you believe in him by faith, you will be saved. We're also partial to rich people, judgmental, selfish at times, and a bit rude, especially in the parking lot before we get into the building. See, we, we wouldn't put that on the side of our building, would we? We wouldn't put that on the About tab for Rocky Mountain, would we? It's not congruent. It doesn't match. And yet, and yet, it's true because God's still working on us. That we absolutely can hold some things in our faith that don't belong, that don't belong. And James here is saying, Partiality, that's one of them. My brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. Verse 2. For if there should come into your assembly a man with gold rings in fine apparel, and there should also come in a poor man in filthy clothes, and you pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes and say to him, You sit here in a good place and say to the poor man, you stand there or sit at my footstool. Have you not shown partiality 
among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts. Vicious intentions, it's also translated. Judges with evil thoughts. Now in the congregational gatherings in the early church, if they did have a building, typically there were just a few seats, most of the people stood or sit on the floor. And James is saying here that that you took in these rich, you had this evil thought about the rich man that perhaps because he's rich in authority, that he has a little bit more to offer you than the poor man in filthy clothes. I think James is addressing something that actually happened in the early church, something that was going on. And he points to the real issue, and that is making someone, one person, more worthy of my time than I might make another person. See, perhaps one of those gold rings might end up in the tithe box. Something to offer. Maybe some authority he has that can help this church out. Imagine it's June 27. It's a Wednesday night. Pastor Eric, it's his first night back. He's been gone for six weeks. You've endured the spankings of the book of James for six weeks. And now Eric's back. And you're excited because he's our pastor and he's our friend and and we love him. And so you're excited about that service. And so you come to service early. Worship is awesome. After worship, just before the teaching starts, a family comes in. And they sit down right in front of you. Dad's about 6'6", 250 pounds, and he's right in front of you. Little Bobby and Susie, six and eight, they're, they're right there next to Dad, and Mom's on the end. She completes the family sandwich. And Eric's practically finished with his introduction and greeting, and they're just now getting settled, right? Within a few minutes, Susie's got to go to the restroom, another distraction. Mom escorts her out. And, of course, as soon as she gets back, Bobby's got to go. Some more distractions. Through the whole service, a little bit of talking, a little bit of giggling going on. Mom and Dad don't seem to think that it's really bothering anybody. But you're thinking, man, my expectations of this service, Eric's first service back, were a whole lot different than what's actually going to happen here. You got me looking around. I can't hear. I'm distracted. Service ends. And you come up front. You, you want to greet Eric. Tell him how much you missed him. You loved him. He says thanks. Shakes your hands. It's enough for you to, to make you forget that family. That family. See, that family has never been to RMC before. Haven't stepped into a church in years. Their marriage is failing. Dad has lost his job, and the kids aren't making it in school, and they just want to connect with God. So they left and never came back because they didn't feel like anyone even noticed them. Anybody cared about them because they came to meet with the bread of life, and all they got was a few stony stares when the kids were making a little bit too much noise. Now, I made that story absolutely up in in my head. But as I did, I was reminded of how closely it comes to us, those situations. 
And I was reminded at the 9 o'clock service last week. Because at the 9 o'clock service last week, in the back 40, there was a crying toddler. And maybe some of you were at that service. It was epic. It went on forever. And I just kept talking louder and louder, and I didn't want to look over there and make a scene or anything. But I tell you, Pastor Dan was sitting over, clear over here. He had to get up, walk to the back. Ushers are hovering. Security's coming in because it just, it was epic, right? And ultimately, family went out. I talked to Pastor Dan after the service. He got a chance to minister to this single dad who had ventured to church with four little ones and couldn't get in the children's ministry. Some of that was our fault. But he had the courage to bring his kids in. And it didn't work out. His name was Israel. When faith starts loving everyone, And it sees everyone differently than it might have before. When faith starts loving everyone, then it sees everyone differently than it might have before. You see, sitting at the feet of the Lord, hearing the word of God without distraction, that's a good thing. Being loving to everyone, that's a better thing. That's a better thing. Because if in all our learning, in our undistracted auditoriums, it doesn't translate to Israel, we've shown partiality. We've shown partiality. Verse 5 says, Listen, learn, hear. My beloved brethren, has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Do not the rich oppress you and drag you into the courts? Do they not blaspheme that noble name by which you were called? Now, James is not saying here that every poor person comes to faith in Jesus. He's also not saying that every rich man is a persecutor or a blasphemer. But the, me the message is a general message that a poor person, a poor person in general, because they don't have a whole lot that they're going to be giving up, comes to faith much easier. Jesus said sometimes it's, it's practically impossible for a rich man to come to faith. Not impossible through faith, not impossible by God. But why? Because this rich man, he has a lot that he might have to give up, that he might have to trust God with. Now, the rich that he's specifically talking about here were opponents of, of Jesus and his followers. The early Christians were a threat to the established, corrupt, rich Jewish leadership. And he's saying, hey, these are some of these guys and, and leaders that are coming in, and, and they're, they're hearing what you have to say, and they're using your own words, your own teachings on Jesus Christ to bring an accusation against you and to haul you into their courts. Jesus desires that the rich and the poor alike come to him, that they both find that they're poor in spirit and they need the riches and grace and, and mercy that's found in Jesus Christ. He loves the rich man and the poor man alike. There's no partiality with God, and neither there should be 
with us. But learning to overlook, learning not to overlook and dismiss people, man, that's a walk of faith. That's a walk of love. That's how, Lord, open my eyes. I don't miss an opportunity to love. I don't miss an opportunity to be patient and, and love someone rather than, rather than bring a, a wicked judgment. A wicked judgment. Verse 8, if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You do well. Now, when the scripture says you do well, when James says you do well, we should, we should pay attention. He says this royal law, this overarching law of loving your neighbor as yourself, you do well. Verse 9, but if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. Now, that law that he's referring to comes from Leviticus 19 and 15 where it says, you shall do no injustice in judgment. You shall not be partial to the poor nor honor the person of the mighty. In righteousness you shall judge your neighbor. James says the overarching law, the love, the, the love of, to, the, to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, to love others as, as yourself. Jesus said these two laws, these two laws trump everything else. That if we'll live by those two laws, then guess what? We're getting it right. We're getting it right. In other words, we're doers of the word. And we, and we have a faith that's loving everyone. You see, because when, when those two laws are given to us, love the Lord God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself, it doesn't leave out anyone. It doesn't live, leave out anyone. Look at verse 10. It says, For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. For he who said, Do not commit adultery, said, Do not murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you'll become a transgressor of the law. Now, our, our laws in, in our nation say that murder breaks the law. Speeding also breaks the law as well, doesn't it? And he's saying, in God's law, what, what will break the law is anything that's not loving to God and not loving to my neighbor. Partiality. Hey, it breaks that law. It breaks a law. It breaks the, the royal law. He says you can memorize the whole law. You can have it all memorized. But, hey, if you mess up at one point, you're guilty. You're guilty. Now, in Galatians, Paul said this in 3 and 22. But Scripture has confined all under sin. In other words, we're all guilty. That the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. In, in other words... If you did know all the law and you tried to keep it but you broke one, hey, you're, you, we're all in the same boat. The big sinners, the little sinners. Well, we're all in the same boat. We all need Jesus Christ. We all need saving faith in order to be forgiven of that sin. So whether you commit the big sin or you just kind of show favoritism a little bit. See, sometimes that's just in our heart. No one sees it. No one, no one might see that I'm playing a little bit of favorite in my heart and my mind. But it's wrong. James says it's wrong. Verse 12, he says, So speak and so do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. This, again, this overarching law of loving God and loving others. He says, when you speak, when you do something, when you say anything, when you do anything, know that you're going to be judged by this law of liberty. So is my speech loving to God? 
Is my speech loving to my neighbor? Is my speech loving to others? Is this act that I'm about to do, this thing that I'm about to carry out, is it loving to God? And is it loving to others? You see, Jesus, Jesus makes it really easy and really simple. We don't have to remember a whole lot of laws. But we do have to remember the law of love. The law of caring about others. The law of, of loving everyone equally. In, in Galatians 5, again in verse 22, Paul says this, but the fruit of the Spirit is, is love, it's joy, it's peace, it's long-suffering, it's kindness, it's goodness, it's faithfulness, it's gentleness, it's self-control. And he says, against such there is no law. When we speak and when we do things that love God and love others, there's no law that can convict us. There's no law against that. When, that, when, when that's your motivation, when that's, when that's your preeminent first goal in mind to do anything, think about it. Jesus' goal, his sole goal was to love you by going to the cross. There's no judgment. They, they judged him and they judged the things he did, but there was no judgment against him. He was sinless. He was perfect. And his one goal was to love you. And so then he says, now that I've loved you and you've received me, now make your one goal, loving me and loving others. Don't speak and don't do those things that would break the heart of God. Don't speak or do those things that would hurt your neighbor. Verse 13, for, the ju for judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Show no mercy? Get no mercy. But mercy, he says, it triumphs over judgment. It triumphs over judgment. Now, mercy is not giving the punishment that someone deserves to them. They deserve it. They deserve it. Well, they deserve it. They did it. They deserve the de they did the they did the deed and they deserve the punishment. And, and, and how often can we find ourselves saying those words about someone and yet we go to God and say, oh God, forgive me. Lord, don't hold against me those things that I've done against you. Lord, don't give me the punishment that I deserve. Thank you that you didn't give me the punishment that I deserve. And yet we can find ourselves saying they deserve it. Mercy, I would say to you, actually goes one step farther. Because Christ not only didn't give us what we deserved, he took our punishment. And so showing mercy to someone is saying, not only do I forgive you, and I'm not going to hold this against you, the consequences of your sin or your actions, how can I help you? How can I help you overcome those? Can I take any of that burden on myself? That's an incredible love. You want to move a mountain with your faith? Each of us has someone that we are probably thinking about this very second that we should show that kind of mercy to. That we can, and, and, and you see the great thing about it is then you just lifted a burden off yourself and someone else.
And then you, maybe you, you, you help them out. You see, you just moved a mountain in their heart and in their mind. A faith that loves everyone. A faith that shows mercy. It is indeed, it is indeed a faith that is alive. Now, some will say, but God does judge, right? He does bring his, his wrath, yes, yes. And I can start being concerned about that when I get this love thing down first. Until then, I'll leave that, that a judgment to the Lord. A judgment to the Lord. Secondly, this morning, faith that lives. Faith that lives. What does it profit, verse 14? What does it profit, my brethren? If someone says he has faith but does not have works, can that faith save him? Now, this is a very important verse for the rest of the verses because it lays the context of what James is talking about. And he starts this section in, in verse 14 with two questions. What does it profit, my brethren, if someone <clears throat> says he has faith but does not have works? That's the first question. Second question, can that faith save him? So if we put those two together, and he, and he chose to make one sentence, it would say this. If someone says he has faith with no works, can that faith save him? That's the context. And he answers that question and those questions with an illustration. Verse 15, he says, if a brother or sister, someone in relationship with us, is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, depart in peace and be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Did your words warm them? Did your words clothe them? Did our words feed them? Did our words give shelter to them? He says, no. No, it did not. In verse 17, he says, thus also, faith by itself, remember that's the context, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Faith that has no corresponding work is useless, is dead, James says. See, that's why in James 1 and 22 from last week, he says, but be doers of the word and not hearers, only deceiving yourself. He said, I don't, I don't want you to be deceived. Part of the deal is hearing the word, having that faith, and then go, going and doing it. Verse 18, he says, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith What's the context? Dead faith without works. <clears throat> and I will show you my faith, my faith works by my works. You see? You believe that there is one God. You do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. He says believing, even the demons, they believe. They don't believe to, to faith. And they're disobedient. And they have their judgment he says, he says, that belief without a corresponding work, then there's, there's no fruit of that. There's no fruit of that. But do you not want to know, verse 20, but do you, but do you not want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? It's dead. 
Now, let me provide this illustration. Ladies, if your husband every day of the year, 365 days a year, said, I love you. I love you, honey. 365 days a year. And then, when your birthday came around, you got no birthday present. You got no card. And when Valentine's Day came around, you got no present. Not even a heart emoji on a text. And Christmas came around, no present, no nothing. Now, ladies, this is an illustration. Do not judge your husbands right now. (laughs) Anniversary comes around, no present, nothing. Never help with the dishes. Never help with the laundry. Never help with the yard work. You had to go fix your own cars. He bought himself new cars and bought you used cars. Ladies, if that's happening, I'd love to talk to your husband. But every day, about six months in, when you heard, I love you, it would sound a little bit dead. It would sound a little bit hollow, wouldn't it? Because there's nothing there. That's what James is talking about. Faith without works. No works. Nothing. He says, can that faith save you? He says, no. He says no. So what we have to look at and put this next to is Paul teaching, which we've all learned, that salvation is by faith. Salvation is the grace of God, and I receive it by faith in Jesus Christ. And in, in, in Galatians, Paul said this, Galatians 2, you don't have to turn there yet. You can put your finger in James and turn to Ephesians. We're going to be in Ephesians in just a second. But Paul in Galatians said this, Knowing this, that a man is not justified by works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Christ Jesus that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. For by works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. So what is, Paul, what is Paul's context here? He's battling false teachers. He's battling Judaizers that would come in and say that you believe in Jesus Christ, that's okay, but, but you have to keep the law. You have to keep the Levitical law for salvation. Keeping the Levitical law for salvation. He says, that for by works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. Now, is, is he, is he, he's not changing the definition that James has for faith. He's not doing that. See, James does not say that we are justified by the works of law. He doesn't say that in James at all. But he says that, but that your faith, when it lives, it will always have an, a corresponding evidence of works a corresponding evidence of works. You see, there's a difference between works of the law, keeping the law for salvation and a requirement for salvation versus works that come after, after or, or subsequent that prove our faith, that define our faith, that make our faith come alive. There's a difference. In Ephesians, I think hopefully we'll see this. 
Ephesians 2 and, and verse 8. Paul said this, and this is a key verse to, to line up James and Paul's teaching. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. In other words, we cannot boast in our salvation when it comes to works, because those works cannot bring you to that salvation. But then he goes on to say in verse 10, look at this, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. See, Jesus created us in him. He gave us and provided faith, and we took that faith and we gave it back to him. We were now created in him. No work happened. But because of that and subsequent to that, now God has created me in him for good works that he set before me. Now think about that. Think about that. The God in heaven knows you. If you've received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the God of heaven knows you. He saved you and he knows you by name and he has good works for you in your life. That's an awesome thought. That's an awesome thought. That's a faith that, that's alive. That's a faith that lives. And that's what James is writing about when he says faith. Faith in Christ walks in works, walks in works, and it is alive. Go back to the book of James, and you'll see that he finishes this chapter with a couple of examples. And the example here is the same thing that we've just learned, that faith comes first, and saving faith comes first, followed by a work that says, yes, Lord, I believe. Yes, Lord, I believe. In verse 21 of, of James 2, it says, was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works, and by works faith was made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. You see then that man is justified by works and not by faith only. Verse 24, remember James' context through the whole thing. You see then that James, you see then that a man is justified by works, works born of faith, works of faith, and not by faith, dead faith only. Remember the context, remember the context, remember the context. You see, Abraham, when God said you, that that. You, you, your, your faith, I've seen your faith. And, and, and Abraham, you're, you're justified. When did that happen? What scripture is he referring to that was fulfilled? That was Genesis 15. When was Abraham obedient and offering Isaac? Later in chapter 22. See, the faith was first. The justification was first and, and, and the work proved it. The work proved it. Verse 25 he says, likewise, or in the same manner, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? So here's the story. God is taking the children of Israel into the promised land. They're about ready with Joshua to cross over the Jordan River. 
Now, on the other side of the Jordan River, they would come into their first city called Jericho. So he sends spies out to Jericho. And these spies, they, they end up at Rahab's house. And she protects them. She hides them so that they won't be caught. Now, why would a, why would a Gentile, why would someone who's not a child of the living God, a child of Israel, why would she do that? This is what she says to the two spies. It's from Joshua 2. Now before they lay down, the two spies, she came up to the roof where they were at and said to them, I know that, that the Lord has given, the land, has given you the land. She's already showing faith. That the terror of you has fallen on us and that all the inhabitants of the land are faint-hearted because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt. More faith. She heard it and she's, and she's believing it. And now, and, and how, and, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were on the other side of the Jordan, Shihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. And as soon as we heard these things, our hearts melted, neither did there remain any courage because of you. For the Lord your God, he is the God in heaven above and on earth beneath. Rahab says, what I've seen and what my faith is in is that your God is not just away from you. He's here. He's present. He's acting on your behalf on the earth. You see, her faith was there. When the spies got there, her work showed her faith. Her work showed her faith. Faith and belief led her to action that proved that faith. James points to these examples and says, this is a saving faith. This is a faith that lives. And it's evident in the actions of Abraham and the actions of Rahab. Verse 26. He says, For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. So my body without God's, God's life breathed into me. And when I die, when we all die and pass away, our spirit will descend from our body. Our body will be dead of no use. He says, So faith if it has no spirit, if there's nothing there, if it has no works to show that it was faith, it's dead, it's useless. It doesn't work out for us. So why, why do we go to great lengths and sometimes to split hairs? Which came first, the chicken or the egg? Which came first, the works or the, the, works or the faith? Why do we go to great lengths to explain this, to understand it? You see, because I do not want to infringe or get in the way of the sovereign work of Jesus Christ on the cross. You see, because we had no part of that. And when Jesus died on the cross, he said, it is finished. You see, I, I had no part in that. I had no part in that. But I do have part in believing it. I do have part in receiving forgiveness of sin. I do have part in becoming a child of God. And part of that, James is saying, is that God has lots of good things for you to do. And if your faith is really alive, if your faith is really planted and grounded in Jesus Christ, if you really believe what you believe, then you will have good works. Think about it. Think about it. You and I get to work for God. You may have a job that you don't even like, and you struggle, and maybe your boss isn't so good. You know, 24-7, you work for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. 
You see, when you submit your life to him, when, when we become people who our faith says, I have to love everyone, you see, then that faith is going to be alive. It can't help but be alive. And it will affect you and it will affect others. And it indeed will move the small mountains and the big mountains that we face. Jesus said this in John 15. He said, I am the true vine. In other words, I, I have authority over everything and everything comes through me. Unfaith, faith, the sinner, the saint, Every, I'm still in charge of it all, all of creation, everything. I'm in charge of it. I'm the true vine. And he says, my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit or that does not have a saving faith or does not have a faith that's alive or is, or is not a believer, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, in other words, has a living faith, he prunes that it may, be, that it may bear more fruit, you are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me with a living faith, and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. And a life faith produces a lot, produces a lot. Now, maybe in our lives and in our walk of faith, we, we go, well, I, you know, man, I'm a little bit short on the work side. Oh, I've had faith. I've never gone against my faith. I've never rejected Jesus Christ, but man, God wants to do that. And remember, like last week, these are not have-tos, these are get-tos. To work for God, to do the, the very thing that he created you to do, that, that, there's nothing greater. There's nothing greater than knowing that I received this work from God and I'm fulfilling it. I'm doing it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness and for your love. Thank you for your word. Lord, that reminds us, encourages us. God, I pray for those that have just maybe, maybe they've struggled. Someone in their life who just, they seemingly can't love. God, would you, would you give them your assurance that you love them and and that by faith and, and through your holy work of, of the Holy Spirit in their life, God, you can change their heart. And, and you can cause them to love the unlovable. Lord, Lord, if any of us have maybe uh, walked away a little bit in, in our walk, Lord, from the works that you've created for us, Lord, bring us back. Be gracious. Lord, be loving. Assure each of us this morning of your, of your great undying love for us and that you will not give up on us, that the work you started, you want to complete in us. God, do, do that work in those this morning that, that come to you and, and want to work and want to do your works. Uh, Lord, we thank you for your, your goodness and your love. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.